If someone asks me, do you like surprises, my answer is typically, well, that depends, right? I mean, there's some surprises that you are excited about. You know, the surprise of that gift on your birthday or Christmas that you hoped for but didn't think you were going to get. Or uh, I was at a conference a couple of months ago, and I didn't think about it at all when I, before I went. And I got there and realized that one of my best friends from high school was going to be at that same, was at that same conference. And total surprise to both of us. And we had such a great time reconnecting with each other. We hadn't seen each other for 35 years. And it was awesome. And, you know, those kinds of surprises are fun. Something you don't expect to happen does. And it's like, wow, that is so cool. But there are other surprises that, you know, we, we'd rather avoid. You know, we'd, we'd rather avoid some of the surprises that come in consultation with a physician. Or we'd rather avoid the surprises of, of life that mean we're going to go through pain or difficulties or struggles or somebody has done something that we couldn't believe they would do and they've hurt us. It all depends on the surprise. One of the things I discover when I think about surprises is that God loves surprises. God loves to surprise us. And sometimes those surprises we embrace and sometimes we'd rather reject. But I'm convinced that God loves to work through the unexpected because it reveals something about the truth of our hearts. If if we are if, if a word comes to us from a source we expect and in a way we expect, of course we're going to probably receive it. But what if a word from God comes to us from someone we never would have dreamed possible and in a way we would never have imagined and in a setting that we couldn't have dreamed? Are we still open to listen? Do we still hear? I think there's something of that going on in this story among all the things happening in this story that Matthew records about Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. There are a lot of things going on here, but up to this point, Jesus has pretty much avoided Jerusalem. And the few times when he seems to be in Jerusalem, he's not making a big fanfare out of it. He almost sneaks into the city and sneaks out. But now, as the time approaches, and John tells us he set his face toward Jerusalem, and and we have this, this moment where everything that he's done in his ministry is coming to the culmination and the end is near and now when he comes to the city it's big and this is not he doesn't come in this way because somebody in the group one of the disciples thought hey that would be a cool idea you should ride in on a donkey no it's all jesus idea he plans it he prepares it he he gets it all ready he sends the disciples to find the donkey and and he's the one that that creates the whole scenario And he comes in and the people cheer him and and they put palm branches down and they shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And and those are all things that, in one way or another, connect with the messianic prophecies, like the one we read in Zechariah a few minutes ago. And really what Jesus is doing, I think, is declaring himself to be the king. He's saying, I am the king. I'm the one you've been waiting for. This is all coming to culmination. But he isn't content to to come in the humility of the donkey to declare himself the king. He also goes to the temple. 
And now his declaration is a little more authoritative. In the temple, there are these courts of the temple that, that keep moving outward. And in the, the first is the Holy of Holies. And the high priest is only able to enter that space once a year. And then you have the, the area that only priests can go into. And then you have the area for, Gentile, for Jewish men. Then the area for Jewish women. And then you have the court of the Gentiles. And you can only go so far into the temple depending on which of those categories you match. And here are, here, here are the people coming to sell animals for sacrifice. And it's not a bad thing that they're doing. Pilgrims are coming to Jerusalem during Passover. They are, the, the city is teeming with people. And it's a little bit difficult to travel 50, 100 miles or more to come to Jerusalem carrying animals with you and dragging animals along with you. And so the, the temple, people of the temple say, well, why don't we help them out? So we'll provide animals. They can buy them from us. They don't have to bring their own. And, of course, the, the, high, the priests are responsible for making sure the animals that are sacrificed are without defect, that they're not just, you know, some mangy runt that nobody wanted anyway. And we'll bring that to, to, we'll give that one to God, which Malachi has some things to say about that as well. But, but they, they, so they, they have to make sure that the, that the animals are right and appropriate. And so what they discover, somebody gets the great idea that if the only animals we allow to be sacrificed are the ones that we sell, we can jack up the price. And that seems to be what they're doing. It's not a matter of, oh, they're, they're exchanging money in the temple, at least that's not all of it. But they're taking advantage of people in their time of need as they come to worship God and, and they're taking advantage of them. And Jesus is appalled by that. And so he starts turning over tables and driving them out. But the other part of it is that they're set up, seem to be at least set up in the court of the Gentiles. The only place that Gentile people can come and pray to God. And so Jesus says, look, this is, this is a place of prayer. And it's a little hard to pray if you've ever been in an outdoor market with animals, it's not exactly conducive to prayer. And so Jesus is, as the king, he's making an authoritative statement about some things related to the kingdom. That the kingdom isn't like this. And as the king, he gets to do what he wants. The prerogative of the king. You get to do things the way you want to do them. You get to make the rules. And Jesus says, all of these things that you've been doing, we're going to change. I have something to say about that. And nobody expected it. And throughout this whole story, Jesus, the great authoritative, authoritative king, comes into Jerusalem, as Zechariah says, and as Matthew says, humbly. You would have expected him to come with horses. And wielding swords. And he comes to the temple. And instead of saying. I don't want to upset the status quo. He throws things into chaos. And the more I think about. This whole scenario. The more I see. And I'm reminded of how often. God speaks to us. God's word comes to us. Through the unexpected. Now, if it's somebody we respect, if it's someone who uh, is mentoring us, 
someone who's teaching us, someone who we're in close relationship with, for them to, to speak a word of God into our lives, intentionally or unintentionally, we tend to accept that. But what if it's somebody we don't respect? What if it's someone we're teaching and they have a word for us about our lives? What if it's somebody who has a completely different political view than we have? Somebody who has a different theological view than we have? Someone whose moral code is completely different than ours? What if God wants to speak to us through those people? Will we listen? It doesn't mean we have to agree with them. It doesn't mean we have to agree with the choices they're making or the positions they take. But in some ways, that has really little to do with this particular element. Do we believe that God can still speak to us through people and circumstances and situations that we would typically reject? What about times of our failures, our struggles? What about times of pain and heartache and disappointment Do we believe that God can speak into those moments? There are really two groups of people here in Jerusalem. You divide them up into two groups. You have one group that that when they see what Jesus has done, worship him. They accept him. And then you've got a group of people, when they see what Jesus has done, they get upset and angry and indignant. Because Jesus isn't following the rules. Jesus isn't doing things the way he's supposed to. And even more than that, Jesus is infringing on our, our ability to make money, to gain power. And what's intriguing to me is that the group that rejects Jesus ought to be the group that accepts him. I mean, they know the scriptures. They have every advantage in the world. To hear God, to know God, to experience God, to encounter God. Everything about life is in their favor. But that's part of the problem. Life is okay. Life is good. I don't want to hear God's word to me. Whereas on the other side, you have a group of people that Matthew labels as needy, lame, The blind, children, outcasts of society, people who have really no influence, nothing to say to society. And it's through them that God speaks. And when they hear God and see Christ, they respond positively. And what frightens me is that probably, if I'm really honest about my life, my life in terms of advantages and knowing things about God and experiencing God, is probably more like the people here than the people here. And the problem with the people here is that when God comes in a way they don't expect, that they don't want, they reject Him. So how do we hear How do we avoid being in that group of people? I think think we have to live our lives trusting, believing that God can and does indeed speak to us through any person at any time and any circumstance. 
the potential is always there. It doesn't mean that God always does. But we have such an openness of heart that we believe that God speaks to us in circumstances and through people that we would almost automatically reject as agents of God's word. Again, it doesn't mean we have to agree with them. It just means that our hearts are so open to God that even when he speaks to the most unlikely people and in the most unlikely experiences, we're open enough to God that we hear it. We believe that. But I'm convinced that we'll never believe that unless we have a spirit of gratitude to God for not leaving us in our status quo and mediocrity. We, we live our lives in gratitude that God wants more for us. God wants us to flourish. He wants us to experience the fullness of what he created us to be. And that means not letting us live our lives just settling for where we are that may feel comfortable. But it's so far short of what God dreams for us and what God created us to experience we ought to give thanks to God for that. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't give thanks to God for that. I'm, I'm unhappy that God is challenging me and pushing me and, and wanting to be more because it's often painful. And I kind of like the, the complacency of the status quo. You know, there are times where life is okay. It may not be awesome, but it's okay. It's sort of going along. I feel like I've got control of it and it's good. Let's just stay right here. And all the while God is saying, well, you can stay there, but I've got so much more for you. And yes, it will be painful getting there sometimes, but it's so much more for you. And I want to wake up every morning saying, God, thank you that whatever happens today, you're going to be using to move me closer and closer to that kind of flourishing life that you created for me. But ultimately, I'm convinced that underneath that spirit of gratitude is a a spirit of humility. We'll never never be grateful to God for waking us up and, and, and... jump-starting us out of our, our mediocrity that will then help us to trust Him. We'll never have that spirit if we don't truly believe that we haven't arrived. I think at the heart of this whole issue is we sometimes believe we've arrived. We, we've, we've gotten there. We, we've done enough. We're good. And, and that's, I think that's the problem with, with a lot of the folks in Jerusalem who are indignant with Jesus because they feel like he has nothing to say to them. They've arrived. They know it all. They figured out it all. Life is good. I don't need any more. I'm fine. Whereas the group of people over here, the lame and the blind that Jesus heals in the temple, and you see this all throughout Jesus' ministry, they flock to Jesus because they know they have a need. They know they need Jesus. And when the dust settles, they're the ones whose lives are blessed. While this group of people put Jesus on a cross. 
Craig Barnes says that it can be kind of a a dangerous thing to be to be chased by God. To experience God's grace. You know, we think God's grace is sort of coming to us, put patting us on the head and saying, okay, it's okay, don't worry about it. We'll just act like that never happened. Let's just forget that. Let, you know, that. Let's just move on. Everything's okay. Don't worry about anything. Just, just do what you want to do. But the reality is the grace of God is continually challenging us and confronting us and, and getting in our faces. Why? Because God wants more for us. And in our mediocrity and in our willingness to be complacent and to settle, when life, is, when, when all the, the things that come at us as, as God's word are things we expect, we have a tendency to ignore them. But if we're open and God wants to speak to us through completely unexpected people and circumstances and in, and in unexpected times, it jars us. But it's that very jarring that reminds us, I have a long way to go. Thank you, Lord, for not letting me be. Thank you for wanting more. And the nature of God's unexpected word to us is not, is not to punish us. It's, it's not to confine us. It's to set us free, really. To lead us to a life of flourishing. So I want you to think for just a moment. Think about someone, a people group, a circumstance. Maybe something comes to your mind immediately of something you've been going through or a person in your life that, quite frankly, to think about them being an agent of God to speak into your life seems impossible. In fact, it, it, it sort of repels you. What if God said, that's the very person, that's the very circumstance that I have something, to which I have something to say to you? Would we hear it? Father, in this moment of silence, speak to us. Jesus as the King. We wholeheartedly and with great joy submit to you. Pray that you will give us grace to hear you, to see you in any and every way you desire to reveal yourself and your word to us. That we might be the people you created us to be. Who flourish. 
we ask this in your grace.